uh, I know what's happening in the States with young black people getting shot. And I'm, I'm sick, sick and tired of seeing young indigenous people being killed and maimed. You know, I can say Asia Hudson here in Winnipeg, teenage girl killed by Winnipeg police officers. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's not acceptable. That's Brad Regeer, the first First Nations president of the Canadian Bar Association. He's our guest today on the Akamemuk Podcast. Danse, tewao, and welcome to the Akamemuk Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamemuk is a Cree word for you all persevere, or in other words, let's keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we discuss leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders, and community leaders. And today, we're very happy to be joined by Brad Regeer of the Peter Ballantyne Cree Nation, Treaty 6 Territory in Northern Saskatchewan. Brad Regeer is a partner at Maurice Law in Winnipeg, the first and only Indigenous-owned national law firm. There, he has focused on civil litigation, Aboriginal, corporate, and administrative law. He is a past president of the Manitoba Bar Association, and as I said, he's the first First Nations president of the Canadian Bar Association. As an infant, he was adopted by a non-Indigenous family and was raised in Winnipeg. Though, unlike many First Nations children taken in the 60s scoop who had horrible experience, he says, I was one of the lucky ones. I got adopted into a loving, caring family. And he has since reconnected with his biological family in northern Saskatchewan and in Winnipeg. He has represented and advised First Nations clients on natural resource projects, on land claims, flooding, and tax agreements. He joins us today from his office in Winnipeg. Welcome, Brad, and welcome to our Akamemuk podcast. Thanks, National Chief. Appreciate it. Happy to be here on Treaty 1 territory. Well, again, congratulations on your new position. And... What does being president of the Canadian Bar Association mean for you as a lawyer and as a First Nations person? Well, it means a lot. Uh, I, uh, I'm the first Indigenous president in its uh, over 120-year history. Uh, I follow up on the first racialized president, uh, Vivine Salmon, in, in 123 years. So I think uh, it's, it's pretty significant. Certainly it's significant for me, for my family. Uh, that I was able to attain this. I've been involved with the Bar Association uh, both here in Manitoba and nationally for about 15 years in leadership positions. And it just seemed a natural evolution uh, to to seek out and become the national president. You know, as a, a child of the 60s scoop, you've got a very interesting personal background. You know, and I've always said we've got 40,000 First Nations children in foster care across Canada in provincial systems, child welfare systems. But you came through the 60s scoop. Tell us about that experience and how did that experience growing up guide you towards uh, going to university and getting a career in law? Um, I had, uh, I got adopted into a great family. I'm super close to them. Um, you know, the, the mom who raised me is still my mom. Uh, yeah. You know, we have her over every Sunday for dinner uh, along with my, uh, my wife's parents. Uh, I grew up in a fairly working class neighborhood in, in Winnipeg. Uh, but I always knew there was something different. And my parents didn't hide it. They were very honest with me that I had been adopted. Uh, I used to bug my friends that uh, I'd say, you were an accident, but I got chosen. Uh, <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> uh, 
but I, but I always knew that I was Indigenous. Uh, I had an uncle who worked uh, with a lot of Indigenous communities. He would try to keep me in contact um, and, and uh, you know, teach me things. Um, you know, it's obviously not uh, a perfect substitute to having grown up with all your Indigenous, indigenous tr uh, traditions. Uh, but I also knew a lot of kids uh, who had, were my age and had been adopted and were Indigenous. Uh, it was, and, and, I, and I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know, like, why is there so many, you know, Indigenous kids my age who are living with non-Indigenous families? And mm -hmm. I didn't know what the 60 Scoop was when I was a kid and when I was a teenager. And then all of a sudden I started, and then the story started to come out. I remember there's one young gentleman who was in, you know, adopted into the u.s and it was a terrible story and he murdered i believe his adopted father because of all the abuse that he had mm -hmm. received and and then he was in jail in the u.s for life and all of a sudden you started to hear about these stories and i was going what 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 happened here what's going on here uh and then i uh you know my i remember my dad um always fascinated with legal legal matters uh i think he had always wanted to go to law school but uh, wasn't able to uh, and I remember that the Canadian Charter came in in the early 80s and he put up put it up in his home office and, and I started to become fascinated with 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 the law and legal systems thought I was going to be a teacher thought I was going to be a firefighter you know as a kid and uh, went to university just by happenstance I read the law school application test booklet and thought huh this is kind of interesting wrote the test got a good mark applied got into law school and then made the decision, oh, I guess I should go to law school. And uh, quickly learned that, yeah, I, I think this is for me. But I always knew that I I really wanted to work with Indigenous people and work for them, represent their interests, be their advocate. That's a good story. I want your reaction to this statement. Uh, as National Chief, I've always said that we need to get more and more First Nations people into positions of authority and positions of power so that we see ourselves. I gave the example, like we need to see First Nations people on the Supreme Court of Canada. We need to see more presidents of universities, more deputy ministers, you know. Um, how, what are your thoughts? How important is that, to, to, that statement to you, uh, where you are now, uh, about getting more and more of our people practicing law, but as well getting into places of leadership and positions of power and authority? I think it's vitally important. Um, I, I think we need more Indigenous people to be deans of law school. I think we need an Indigenous head of the Canadian Medical Association. Uh, I think we need, um, as you said, uh, Indigenous people to be presidents of universities because those people set the direction of the organization. And Canada-wide, uh, everyone needs to uh, wake up and deal with the fact that there are lots of outstanding grievances and issues uh, that have to be addressed. And, and, you know, we keep talking about it. We keep doing reports. People know about it, but people really, really need to know about it, need to need to commit themselves. I mean, I think that's what reconciliation is all about. I think that's what the commission, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was talking about. And uh, I, I, I really would like to see more Indigenous people in, in positions of leadership throughout society in Canada. Hmm. Now, as a lawyer, and we've got more and more First Nations people becoming lawyers, and you go through all these great law schools, and, and um, the swearing in to uphold Canada's legal system you know, is part of that process. So, 
and I've said this publicly as well, that in Canada, there's, there's common law, you know, through all the other provinces and territories. And then in Quebec, there's civil law, right? The civil code. And um, as a First Nations person, I've, I've also said that uh, there's also common law or there's creator's law or natural law or, or First Nations law as well. Um, how can we now as First Nations, if we talk about reconciliation and I'll say it this way, decolonizing the existing legal system that's there because there is no justice system for our people. That's what I've always said as well. What are your thoughts on how do we go about incorporating or bringing about natural law, creators law, First Nations law into a system in addition to recognition of not only common law and civil law, but these laws I just referenced as well? Well, my view is that, and I, I'm supported by decades of legal decisions that Canada is not just common law and civil law. It's also what in legal circles we call indigenous legal traditions, that the three legal systems exist side by side. And I, I remember reading a, a case from 1867 about how um, a customary marriage between a fur trader and an indigenous woman uh, superseded uh, the fur trader's subsequent marriage in Quebec to another woman uh, and nullified his uh, marriage under the civil code in, in Quebec. And there has been other cases, uh, ones dealing with insurance, that a customary adoption was valid and therefore the, the parents of the deceased were entitled to the benefits to be paid out by uh, uh, the insur an insurance company in BC. Um, you know, and those are, those are just sort of smaller cases, but uh, we've seen this reflected in, in the court decisions, in my view, as I swore to uphold not just civil and common law, but indigenous legal traditions as well. And that's got us, that, that's got us start with education. Uh, the law schools really need to, they can't just teach about contracts and torts and uh, criminal procedure. They've got to expand into, uh, and not just Aboriginal law dealing with like the Indian Act and Section 35 issues, but Indigenous mm -hmm. legal traditions. And I'm, I, I am happy to see that that is occurring uh, in some law schools across the country. Uh, I think I just saw one announcement yesterday uh, that they're developing... Um, uh, you can get, a, I believe, a Juris Doctorate in in uh, Indigenous laws. So It's starting, I think, at University of Victoria. Yes, uh, UVic, that's where it was. UVic, and uh, I, it's it's kind of a timely dialogue and movement on this because we think of what happened at Wet'suwet'en in northern British Columbia, you know, when the RCMP moved in and uh, didn't respect Wet'suwet'en law. But again, once we start recognizing Indigenous legal traditions, uh, the police services, whether it be RCMP or OPP in Ontario or the SQ in, in Quebec, uh, they're responsible for implementing and enforcing, quote, the law. Uh, so at some point, um, my hope uh, as National Chief is that First Nations law will be recognized and that the police enforcement uh, service agencies also have to recognize and respect and enforce First Nations law. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's it's part of the legal system of Canada, and it should be enforced just as equally as uh, common law and civil law um, uh, principles. Uh, I, I do understand that, of course, uh, police officers go through police college or whatever training. They're not taught these things, uh, but there needs to be an education of the entire legal system, uh, from police officers to judges to lawyers, court staff, uh, 
about about these other systems that exist side by side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think the legal system it has to it has to adapt. And that adaptation that's got to be led by indigenous people. It can't be. Mm-hmm people sitting elsewhere going, well, we think this is what's best for Indigenous people. No, it, it has to involve Indigenous people. Yeah. Boy, we could spend a whole um, uh, day and week, month talking about uh, restorative justice and how we have to change the existing system that's there. Um, you know, because we've called it, it's there is no justice system uh, because we've seen the systemic racism and discrimination from police to different uh, things happening in the judicial system. So we need to fix it. And it goes beyond just sentencing circles and healing circles and, um, you know, bringing sweet grass into the courtroom. Uh, it's a whole system that has to be turned on its head. And it's, I see it by your comments, like it's, we've got lots of work to do, not only within the legal system, uh, but in the policing system as well, in terms of the education awareness piece. Yeah. I, I, I had a speech I gave last week and I said, uh, probably got a little emotional about it, but uh, I said, uh, you know, I, I know what's happening in the States with young black people getting shot and I said and I'm, I'm sick sick and tired of seeing young indigenous people being killed and maimed uh, and uh, you know I can say Asia Hudson here in Winnipeg teenage girl mm-hmm. killed by Winnipeg police officers I don't I don't get it I don't understand it it's not acceptable hmm well we've got lots of work to do so again glad to see First Nations people into leadership of positions such as you are and the segue now to my next question we've talked about education awareness and the Canadian Bar Association has developed a program to help implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's 94 Calls to Action. Uh, and it calls for training of lawyers and judges. Can you explain that a little bit for our listeners? So the, the Bar Association developed a program called The Path jointly with a uh, firm, uh, a majority Indigenous-owned firm out of uh, Ottawa. And it is a uh, educational program about four hours in length uh, people, it's accredited for uh, professional development, and people can sign up. It's an online course, and it provides uh, a lot of detail on Indigenous history in Canada and Indigenous legal issues uh, and, uh, that have impacted, uh, obviously, Indigenous people. And so, the, it's 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 really there to provide education to um, people who take it. We've had great uptake; over 1,100 people have taken it, and it's only been uh, a few months now that that it's been available. Uh, we've had at least three law schools want to sign up with it. Uh, one, University of Calgary, uh, requires all of their first-year lo- uh, um, students to take the course. We've had uh, uh, at least one law society want to sign up for it, uh, and we've had numerous uh, large law firms uh, sign up and want access to it, not just for their lawyers but also for their clients. So uh, we're pretty pretty heartened by that. The Bar Association itself has... Uh, been supportive. It was supportive of the TRC. It was supportive of the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Girls and Women's Inquiry. It was supportive of uh, implementation of UNDRIP. It's been supportive of uh, uh, the recognition of Indigenous legal traditions. I'm happy that I, I was often the mover or the seconder in a lot of those resolutions at our council, but uh, 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 there really was never any, uh, any, any pushback in terms of the Bar Association taking those, those positions. Well, I'm glad that there's a lot of uptake because uh, I've always said education awareness leads to understanding, leads to action. And 
even by having you being the mover or seconder on these motions and the again it attests to the importance of having first nations people into positions of power and authority at all decision making tables so it's a good another good example of that um you mentioned the un declaration on the rights of indigenous peoples and there is movement support uh, from the canadian bar association to to look at implementation of that and this is my next question uh in canada do you believe or do you think it can be implemented currently within Canada's legal context, uh, within Canada's constitutional framework, uh, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, especially as it relates to resource projects. And there's a big issue about duty to consult and accommodate. There's the big issue about recognition of free prior informed consent. Uh, So that's causing a lot of um, angst in different sectors across Canada. What are your thoughts on that and your thoughts on it can be done or can't be done? I think it can be done. It just, it's not a question of can it be done, mm-hmm. it's a question of is the will there to do it. And uh, too often I've seen that there isn't the will to do it. But uh, it's, a, it's a declaration that's been signed by the vast majority of countries around the world. Uh, it can certainly fit within Canada's system. And, and, and if our legal system needs to adapt to it, then so be it. Uh, our, our legal system has been described as a living tree and, and it constantly evolves. Well, it can evolve to accommodate mm-hmm. the principles and UNDRIP. And the principles and UNDRIP aren't really something new that popped into someone's head. These are recognizing rights that have been in existence mm-hmm. for millennia and have just been formalized into a, into a document. And, you know, I, I, I realize some people have angst over this thing, but Maybe it's time to do business a little bit different. And maybe it's time to get that consent and actually provide Indigenous people with uh, access uh, to these developments. Because that's, I think that's where you get the most pushback is, is from the resource development sector. And I, and I know companies have been trying to do things different, but um, or at least some have. But it might be time to do things even more different than, than was done before. Exactly. Good comments. I've said uh, by recognizing and implementing the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, it creates economic certainty, it creates economic stability, and it creates an environment that's ripe for investment. And that's the message we keep taking out to, to the provinces, to the territories, uh, to industry. And so I'm glad to really hear you, you say that, yes, it can be done. The will has to be there, and and we're hoping we're putting pressure on the federal government to include that in the throne speech, which is coming up next week. So it's got to be there. But but I've also said that it can't just be there uh, and uh, introduced for first reading in the House of Commons. It has to read uh, royal assent and be finally implemented, passed into law, so we can see this uh, uh, reconciliation action right across Canada. So I'm glad to hear that the uh, Canadian Bar Association under your le- under your leadership can see it happening so we're going to keep pushing forward with that thank you for that what advice would you have for young first nations people who are thinking of following a path into law uh, from your experience um, what would what would you share with young people if you want to do it do it uh, be prepared to work hard but uh, don't give up um, seek out people who can be mentors to you that's that's really important uh, when I was in law school uh, I actually, uh, I was lucky in that I, uh, I think I had 10 other Indigenous people in my first year class. So we had, uh, mm-hmm. we had a cohort there. We had a, we had a group of peers uh, who could support each other. Um, uh, I'd, I'd really like to see the mentorship where uh, people of my vintage uh, 
and older, uh, even even younger than me, can provide that mentorship to law students, articling students, young lawyers. Uh, certainly, the bar association does have, in its various branches, has mentorship. But I, but I think uh, mentorship for uh, more experienced Indigenous lawyers and judges to provide to younger uh, students and uh, uh, new lawyers, I think it, it's it's important because I, you need that. You need that person to, you know, help you out and, and uh, essentially be your cheerleader, be your advocate. And I, I, I'd really like to see that develop. I think it's important. All right. So make the decision. Be prepared to work hard. Um, find your study group and find your mentorship and people that can support you working your way through law school. That's a good message. Strong message. I, and I would challenge the experienced lawyers, be that mentor to that a young up-and-comer. Uh, don't just leave it to them to seek you out, but seek to be that mentor. Now, Brad, in the, it's 2020, September 2020. We're in the middle of a pandemic. COVID-19 is not only going across Canada, but across the world. Um, all these changes are happening uh, to the environment, to the economy. You see all the challenges in Canada through policing and the justice systems. Uh, in light of all these challenges we're facing here in 2020, um, what brings you hope what gives you hope um it, it it's it's younger people younger people who have uh said enough is enough we got to actually do something we got to affect change we need to make things different we need to make things better um i'm getting long in the tooth uh can't stay up that late anymore uh but uh i, I see young people come out of and, and you know i'm in the, i'm in the legal field so i see people coming out of law school who are full of uh full of energy and, you know, are, are thinking things, saying things, which when I came out of law school over 20 years ago, I didn't think were even going to be possible. Um, I didn't think that a firm like mine could really exist. And I see lots of young people saying, we're going to do that. We're going to do, you know, we're going to have a, there was a bunch of young women came out of uh, the law school here in Manitoba and said that their goal is to set up uh, an all Indigenous woman law firm. Uh, in a couple of years, and uh, I I wish them nothing but the best, and I hope that they can do it because uh, it's just that 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 gives me hope that there's people who are gonna and they're gonna and people are gonna come out and you know we talked earlier about leadership positions and I see those people getting into those leadership positions you know being the president of the university being the dean of a law school uh, it it's gonna happen and I just hope it happens. Uh, Real soon. Mr. Brad Regeer, you are the first First Nation person that's chair of the Canadian Bar Association. Um, do you have any closing comments or anything else to share with our listeners on the Akamema podcast? Uh, I think I just want to thank everyone who's encouraged me, uh, supported me on this uh, on this path to get here, uh, both within the Bar Association, within uh, Indigenous communities. Uh, uh, you mentioned earlier uh, uh, your wife, Val. Um, I remember Val from back when I was at University of Waterloo and she was working for the the Friendship Center in, in Kitchener and uh, the Friendship Center and, and and Val, you know, encouraged me, you know, take this path, uh, you know, follow your dream going into law. And uh, there was a lot of people along the, along the way. And so I just I just want to thank them all. I uh, can't too many okay. to name. All right. Well, thanks so much, Brad, for being the leader who you are. And thanks for coming on our Akamema podcast. Thanks, National Chief. And I want to thank all the people for listening to the Akamemik podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. 
give us a rating, and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations.